Now look, you can't look like you're trying to get her out of here before Christian Simonson shows up, but you got to get her out of here before Christian Simonson shows up. Yeah, but what's the point? They're going to Shanna's daddy's house at Lake LBJ and it's no guys. Absolutely no guys. Okay, so after we bring the girls' drinks, in fairly rapid order, but not obvious, we order two more rounds of shots. <laughs> you think they're gonna fall for that? We'll be very convincing. Now it's time to turn up the volume. No more fucking around. We go to Jaeger shots. Man, they're not gonna drink Jaeger shots. Dude, as long as the guy's buying the booze, a fucking bitch will drink anything. Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike. We continue our trilogy today with the advent of television. I want to talk about the advent of television. So in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the television has become a mainstay in, in the household and this is where the theatrical experience is getting kind of a bad rep and and people aren't going to the movies as much uh when when television is on the rise and it's kind of what's happening now it is very interesting and that's when the grindhouse features became really really popular uh you've got the double bills um two movies for the price of one um you've got small budget thrillers with violence sex lurid plot to try and entice people to come to the movies and this is the era that quentin tarantino just absolutely loves and that's where we get Death Proof, uh, a film that he has gone on record as saying that it's got to be the worst movie I ever made. And for a left-handed movie, that wasn't so bad, all right? So uh, if that's the worst I get, then I'm good. Do you agree with that, Mike? No, that would be uh, Django Unchained. That's the, <laughs> that's the worst. Mm -hmm. And that's if we're following Quentin Tarantino's uh, self-imposed rules to just totally forget about his involvement with four rooms. Um, he's including <laughs> death proof, which I, I thought, you know, if he wanted to, if he wanted to be tricksy and if he truly felt that way, that this is the worst thing he's done, I guess at feature, feature length level, uh, he could have said that one doesn't count. Cause it was part of like this anthology thing. It was part of grindhouse. That's not just me. He did that with four rooms. Why not this? But I, I, you know, if I'm including four rooms, I put that in there because um, while that's an interesting sort of curiosity from the mid '90s, I don't think that one has too many defenders as far as like, no, no, it's actually great. <laughs> like every every story <laughs> in there is is fantastic. Um, in fact, I would actually give Rodriguez. Uh, I think he takes the W from that one as far as those sequences, even over Tarantino because Tarantino casts himself as a guy who does the most talking in his sequence, which is not great. Um, I, I've been a fan of death proof since I watched it on opening weekend as the, you know, the grindhouse. I saw the shortened version of death proof cause I watched planet terror for, you know, just over an hour uh, before. And I saw the, 
the Eli Roth trailer for uh, his, his Thanksgiving movie, which I think is actually coming out uh, this year, like in feature length form. So finally, <laughs> finally, Grindhouse rises again <laughs> as a spinoff. <laughs> Um, so I lament that this was not financially successful. However, I blame that mostly on Mr. Rodriguez and Planet Terror because I don't think that one has uh, evolved to have much of a <clears throat> fan base or defenders. Um, whereas in other countries, Death Proof was just released as Death Proof without the Grindhouse thing because their culture, they didn't understand the the, the sort of – uh, conceit, I guess, of the the grindhouse double billing culture that you've you've just explained, and they, I guess, for that reason, they have emerged victorious over us as Americans because they just <laughs> got to say one for death proof, please. That being said, I'm not that familiar with Death Proof, the original version, because I, I even checked my, my shelf of my remaining physical media, and I do have the Grindhouse uh, Blu-ray release they did. Um, which I think came later than the individual movies. Um, and I've never opened it. <laughs> so, <laughs> such as, <laughs> such as my interest in reliving the original Grindhouse experience. But I have long been a fan of Death Proof. I loved it then. Um, and I think that's saying a lot because I'd already been sitting in the theater watching Planet Terror and I still had such an affection for Death Proof when it came later. I was, I was ready for it. So I disagree with uh, Tarantino. I think him, Kevin Smith is the same. I think some filmmakers just don't know how to take uh, the L. I don't think they know how to deal with, oh, that was an arousing success. Because if you delete four rooms, he's had nothing but success. And so I think Death Proof is the one time that financially it did not work out. And now it's sort of like Smith, how he dogged Mallrats for a few years, and then he comes back around to it. Then he dogs, you know, Jersey Girl, and he comes back around to it. I just don't think they understand uh, rejection. When you've had nothing but a string of successes, um, sometimes you sort of dogpile on maybe as a defensive thing. I don't truly believe that Tarantino thinks that Death Proof is in any way, shape, or form. Uh, a bad movie, a left-handed movie, as he calls it. I don't, I don't believe him. I don't believe with his massive ego that he thinks that anything he's produced is actually bad. <laughs> I just don't think he, he believes he has it in him. Not only that, uh, I, I, I think everything you said about having to sit through Planet Terror is a hundred percent accurate. I was one of the millions and millions of people who did not see this theatrically. <laughs> and, and you're a movie guy. If not you, <laughs> that's a bad sign. <laughs> right. I did not like Planet Terror. I can't even sit through Planet Terror. I remember uh, being at the used uh, a DVD store and, and spotting the two separate uh, releases for both uh, the Unreal. I was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. I got through maybe 20 minutes of this fucking movie, and I was like, this is gross, and I'm tired, and it's bad. And I should have put that on the poster. I might have sold a few more <laughs> tickets that way. <laughs> maybe. Go, go the Aronofsky mother route. Just lean into it. <laughs> and then, after having sat through Planet Terror for the first time, because, you know, the, the first time I, you know, you, you, you go through the whole movie, then I watched... Death Proof, and I liked it. I considered it, I was like, hey, this is another Tarantino film, great, all that. And then, you know, when you make your list every time Tarantino comes out with a new movie, to, to you know, say, well, where does this one rank? Death Proof did always end up towards the bottom for me, because it is attached Boo. to that... Boo. Hold, hold on. <laughs> 
Hold on a second. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna win you. This is the setup, Mike. I'm gonna win you in the end. Not <laughs> not like the getaway, but you know. <laughs> and every single time I made those lists, yeah, yeah Death Proof always towards the bottom. I think it might be because of the stink that Planet Terror attaches to it. But now, having seen it, and again, I I do my best uh, to have the theatrical experience at home where, you know, I don't touch my phone. I, and I even, I, I, I asked my wife, I was like, hey, I got to watch Death Proof. Uh, it's another Tarantino film. And she's like, who's that? And then I explained, I was like, well, you watch all these. And he's like, oh, I liked all of those. I was like, yeah, let's watch it. I was like, I don't know if you're going to like this because secretly, I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> and she, she really liked it. And I really liked it. To the point where I can't stop thinking about it, Mike. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want to call it his best film, but I might call this one my favorite one because we've lived with Tarantino all our lives. And this guy loves movies so much and every, one, every single one that comes out is essentially a remix of all of his different tastes. Not Death Proof. Death Proof is an homage to the things that he really loves. And people were like, no. We like it watered <laughs> down <laughs> in all your other work, but we don't like it when it's in its pure, uncut, unadulterated form. And that's what Death Proof is. And boy, did I have a good time. And it's just in my head. I can't get it out of my head. I'm, I'm, I've got the soundtrack on uh, during my drives and while I, I shop at the grocery store. I'm telling you. There's something to this Death Proof movie. When when his eventual 10th film comes out, I guarantee you Death Proof will be in the upper half, if not closer to the top than anyone is comfortable with. Besides you, maybe. Wow. Yeah, because, I mean, I think I have it. It would probably be, like, fifth for me. It would be, you know, I, I'm a big fan of it, and uh, it's only been replaced by uh, really two newer ones. So I don't know if that's a recency bias. I don't think it is because when i say recency bias one of them would be inglorious bastards which at this point is going on you know it'll be no. 15 years old next next yeah. summer so um <clears throat> it is something that i think i, I mean I'll, i don't want to speak for the ladies but i do think that women respond to this one more than than men um i can only say that for my wife when i said hey i have to you know watch death proof for the podcast you know that damn web you know keeps programming these movies and she was all about death proof uh and we've we've seen it together a few times and we were not dating we did not know each other when it came out so this has only been on video watches we're choosing to watch this at home yeah it is i mean it's a slasher movie uh essentially and it's one where um the tables do get turned on the the, the creep that's, that's stalking the the women, and I think that <laughs> even when the women are victims, because uh, I've talked to some other guys, I, I actually remember coming out of the theater back in two thousand seven, where it's like, yeah, I mean that's kind of cool, you know, Kurt Russell, but like, God, the women just talk so much before anything happens. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so there's there's your problem is you don't you don't have a problem with them being stalked and you don't really have a problem with them ultimately being the the victor over this the stalker it's just you don't want to know anything about them <laughs> other than <laughs> victims or victor <laughs> and i think that speaks more to the person i was talking to than it does to the film itself that might speak quite a bit to the subgenre of slasher films too because women are seen very much as a, a fodder 
for the villain. And then, you know, you've got the final girl that you generally root right. for. Yeah, but for the most part, you don't get to really know anything about him. Even you, you look at Jamie Lee Curtis, possibly the greatest final girl mm-hmm. in Halloween. And you don't know much about her than maybe, okay, well, she probably hasn't had sex and she might be kind of a nerd, good student. But, like, it's not like this. You don't watch Halloween for the character development, you know? Yeah, we don't know which one of her friends, like, which one of her friends is, like, posing as a sort of, like, the the alpha, I guess, female. uh, And then secretly, you know, going off to, like, text, uh, you know, this guy that she really hopes, like, shows up to that she really does have, like, affection for or crush on. You don't have those little moments, uh, considering that this, you know, 10 to 12 minutes later, this, this woman's going to be killed in this, like, horrific, like, uh, car sequence. Um, so, I, you know, I, I can see how this one you i like what you said as far as like the remixing element that it's it's like this is just maybe a a pure like sort of cover song of something that he's seen and liked um and just doing it straightforward because kill bill has all sorts of little odd touches but i don't remember hearing the complaints there and i don't know if it's just like there's more of a song and dance element to it where he's distracting you with with things on like a quicker pace but yeah i remember watching it with a group of guys and a couple of them were really really put out by the fact that we just sit around and bullshit with these women (laughs) so much that i have a distinct memory of so the the film is two halves you know the the victims and then the 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 film crew the people the the great zoe bell the the stunt uh person and then uh, her crew that will ultimately uh end kurt russell and when we get to the second half and we do another sequence of a new set of, of women going around talking about that you know who they have a crush on who they're sleeping with all this you know just talking shit i remember a guy i was seeing with just audibly groaning just like <laughs> it'll never end <laughs> it was just it was i can't like i would love to to get up with him and uh see what he thought about sarah polly's women talking if that's like his ultimate hell on earth it's <laughs> just a bunch of women what? sitting around having a conversation with each other <laughs> was this dude like applauding eli roth's plan to rape them earlier than them like yeah get these bitches hammered on jaeger shots like i can't just get, get them to shut up <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I, I i do disagree with you in that i think this is half a slasher film because the second half really doesn't have uh, any of those elements you start off with the stalking and i think that gives good background on stuntman mike and uh what you didn't see uh in 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 the first half and so you get that but then the film crew and and that group of girls really it, it's the car chase film and that's what death proof is it's slasher plus car chase um and i i do feel like one of the things about grindhouse features is that they're normally short films and quick cheap you know and i feel like this one does go on for a little longer than it needs to like i would get rid of the michael park sequence in the in the middle right away because it's more of an attachment to planet terror get this movie Hmm. as far away from planet terror as possible and that That does it it. does stick out oddly with the uh i can't remember the the actress's name who's i guess the lead or co-lead of planet terror the uh the shelly i think is her name the blonde uh woman that they have this weird dynamic with with Parks, and she walks off into like a huff, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a that must be something with Planet Terror, but I'm not gonna research that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mind it, just in the sense that he, 
you know, uh, a cop, especially a, a, a Texas uh, cop, only cares if he can get this uh, sociopath out of Texas. Like, by God, he won't do it again in Texas. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> care where he does it. I don't care about Tennessee. But uh, I didn't mind that bit. But it is a long walk and talk sequence uh, of mainly Michael Parks just talking at you, which Tarantino just loves Michael Parks, just loves him. So uh, I get that. He does. He is over-explaining the movie, though. It's like, yeah, we get it. We get what this is. Um, I, I loved all the touches in the first half, and it might it, it might border on a little too cutesy. Um, the 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 you know Death Bolt, like the the original title, and all the scratches and the cuts. It maybe it got maybe it got a little bit too much because you don't see any of it in the second half. But I, I loved all of it. Yeah, I I actually like that he drops it. I like that he drops it in the second half. Like, okay, wait. We had our jollies. That's that's the you know the reason we 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 did this little project. But it almost feels like Tarantino separating himself from Rodriguez, and that's like now I'm gonna make like you know a real movie. Like now, like, you <laughs> stuck through the jokes. Like is, this is gonna be my joint, and also like you know it, it starts with uh, black and white, and then goes into glorious color for yet another foot shot. <laughs> our stalker has to like graze <laughs> right. a woman's bare foot. <laughs> Um, uh, which is which actually a great setup this time around because you get those glorious and, and gratuitous foot shots and the leg that comes off in that gruesome death yeah. scene, which by the way, a great scene because you see it three times. Uh and that's that's the way a good like John Woo action shot goes, because you make sure you see everything, and so you are aware, you're never lost in the the geography of the scene you know exactly what's happening my wife was very much like oh like the, the jump out of your seat cringe moment on on every single death in that sequence really effective stuff uh, for some reason the uh, leg dangling out the side is more horrific than even like a spinning tire like going over someone's face for some reason i don't, I don't know if it's the fact that we have um yeah, you know, it's the the whole Hitchcock like showing you like the bomb underneath like the the bench type thing where it's like that leg dangling out, knowing that we have this uh, machine of metal and death like coming their way. Just yeah, you know, makes me, makes me cringe. Something else, like because I wanted to see what what did modern like sort of letterbox uh, film aficionados think because they would not have been around uh, presumably like younger film Twitter for the the grindhouse experience. So. They may not be referencing it like you are, you and I are. Like, it's much better than Planet Terror. They they may not even know that Planet Terror is a thing that needs to be connected to this. Which God bless them. But, um, the biggest thing I was seeing, which is not, it's something I did have sort of like a, a glancing blow of a thought about, was that the Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, character, uh, who I believe is uh, the only actress in the the sort of film crew uh, section. Um, is in a cheerleader costume from set, which my, my wife did have. She didn't have an issue with Quentin Tarantino going back to the feet. She's like, giving the man, that's his kink, so be it. Uh, she did have an issue with Mary Elizabeth Winstead still being in a cheerleader outfit. Like, she doesn't change, like, off, like, they're going to go fuck around all day. Why is she wearing that? I myself didn't seem to ever, that didn't even cross my mind as an issue or a problem. I'm just <laughs> taking in the spectacle of like, yes, one of them is in a cheerleader costume. But the biggest complaint I saw from perusing Letterbox was the fact that these women, because it's very like, you know, pro-women uh, movie, leave 
the Mary Elizabeth Winstead character with a complete fucking stranger who they can only surmise as some sort of pervert because he like grunts at them <laughs> just in response. <laughs> and like, you know, might as well be rubbing his palms together as he's like speaking with them. They leave her just so they can take the man's car as collateral. That's, that's the <laughs> that's the the one hitch that most people seem to not be able to to get over. It's not even that they leave her. It's a couple things. They they leave her and they don't tell her what's going on. She's asleep when and she wakes up yeah. to them like, "Hey, see you later. <laughs> Have fun with this guy." <laughs> and they've essentially offered her up as as sexual tribute as well. That's the other thing, to the point where I, I don't know if this guy is aware. And, oh, don't forget, they also tell him that she does porn. That's another caveat. It, <laughs> I will say, it's ultimately, it's used as, like, a joke. Um, but I can see a modern, you know, uh, a modern audience being like, well, that's not cool. But, again, you have to put it all in the context. This is a throwback grindhouse picture where where the the lurid sex stuff was just a part of it. it it's it, and again if you're not able to watch a film and understand its context or understand where it's coming from or even just separate it like i don't need every single film to be completely politically correct especially when you've got somebody like Tarantino who is who who's an auteur like i hate to say it, you know like it, it's not a john de bont film <laughs> you know just like <laughs> nothing hey, against hey. him <laughs> i love speed speed but... <laughs> speed is a fucking classic sir <laughs> i know i know but i'm just saying you you know <laughs> not a twister guy i see <laughs> um on on the sex angle isn't Tarantino, didn't he recently do an interview where I guess he was asked, like, hey, how, how come you don't have, like, sex in your films? Like, you know, there's sexual tension. I mean, you, you go to Mia Wallace and Vincent Vega. That's 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 the whole sequence, that, that third of Pulp Fiction is that dynamic. So much so that John Travolta has to go pep talk himself into going home and masturbating about it, <laughs> but not doing anything else. Like, he is, you have got to get out of this room without any sort of physical contact. Um, and I guess Jackie Brown is the only one that comes on, but it's also a gag. Like you're saying here, it's sort of a throwaway joke that they, they leave, uh, you know, Scott Pilgrim's favorite lady as sexual tribute. And Jackie Brown has sort of a similar thing, except I guess <laughs> Sam Jackson leaves Robert De Niro as sexual tribute to his girlfriend, Bridget Fonda, <laughs> in the quickest sex sequence. I think most of it is taking place with a title card that says like 10 minutes later or something. And <laughs> that's, and then it's over in three seconds. Um, what do you make of the fact that, cause I, I, I don't have the exact quote from me, but he basically said that he's not interested in like filming sex. It's just never been in his mind to like have a sex scene, uh, in there, which is funny for as much, uh, in the, you know, he's been attacked for his violence on film, making that so entertaining and populous. Um, uh, there, there is very little sex in Tarantino's world. There's the sort of the the threat or the idea of characters who are sexually into each other, but never consummated. I, I think I, I've said this multiple times on our show, but yeah, I, I, I don't need a sex scene for something to be sexy. I think the sensuality and eroticism. There, there's so much more than just that physical act. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on his side here, where if, 
if you're going to have a sex scene in your film, you've got to make it not worthwhile, but it has to mean something. There's got to be a reason for it. And so when I think about the greatest sex scenes, I think about stuff like in Sideways that's used as for comedic purposes and seeing <laughs> Paul Giamatti's face with <laughs> the waitress and her husband. I was wondering, I was like, wait a minute, which sex scene are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like... <laughs> But and see, in Sideways, it's it's it, the the sex is so uh, important because it's used as a joke here. But when it's truly meaningful, it's just a fade from day into night when he and uh, uh, Maya have sex for the first time. I was really hoping you were going to go with you. Well, I'm I'm going <laughs> to give respect to Thomas Hayden Church. I was hoping you're going to that one where he walks in. And oh, yeah. shared hotel room, and he just like has his hand up, <laughs> wave him off. Not now, not now. <laughs> Doesn't stop, but just <laughs> again used as a joke. Like I, and I completely agree with Tarantino in that regard. Where like, yeah. So you know, you watch stuff like, um, oh, what's it called? Was it that French movie? Uh, uh, Blue is the warmest color. Uh, never, never got to it. It's really long though, right? Like really long. It is long, and it's got like a six or seven minute lesbian sex scene, which I think there's a couple of them actually. It's it's very graphic and and gratuitous, and I don't know how much it really adds to the film. Um, and and it's not. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. Like I don't know how much that's actually technically accurate because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a part of that. <laughs> well, see. <laughs> I'm not part of the community, and I can't use pornography as comparison either because I don't know how true that is. You yep, know, that's exactly it's, how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is done from a male gaze, essentially, and so it's like, yeah, ultimately scissoring, I'm, scissoring for I, days. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff in South Park is it, it, it feels more earned, and I feel like I respect that more because again, it's used as a joke. Um, I agree. I agree here with Tarantino. One last thing, I, I've got to mention this because I thought it was fascinating. So I absolutely ripped off that that quick introduction that I did uh, for, for this episode from a wonderful little film essay I saw on YouTube. And they kind of went into uh, the concept of Stuntman Mike being a semi-autobiographical stand-in for Tarantino himself. You've got a, a Stuntman driver who is talking to these young and attractive women in mm. a bar you know, talking about all these different movies and Vanishing Point, which I tried to watch for this episode, but boy, it is not for me. And we can get into that later. But, but, they don't know what the hell he's talking about. And so he, he, he nobody's hiring stuntmen anymore like him. And so he's got to get his thrills and his jollies elsewhere. And he does so by stalking and, and hunting and killing these girls. And not that Tarantino does that. But he's, again, looking at the world in an era where it's like, my time is over. Film is dead. Digital is the new wave. And I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to do one last film because 10 is a is a good number, I guess. It's a, it's a, it's a number that everyone – like, that's my filmography. It's going to be a straight 10 out of 10. And we're never going to forget about any any short that I directed. <laughs> and so, <laughs> although I will say his section in, in, in Sin City might be my favorite in the entire film. So it's the best it, scene. Yeah, 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 it is. 
So they have an actual director. (laughs) 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 Right. (laughs) And he didn't get paid for it because he did it as a favor uh, to um, to his buddy. And so I thought that was an interesting way of looking at at, uh, the, the villain of this film. And, and I, I disagree with Tarantino. I mean, you know, digital film is just more accessible. You've got people with a gusto who, who really want to make films who are inspired by you, but nobody can afford film. That is expensive shit. So I agree. I know where he's coming from. I understand his sentiment, but it's the future, baby. Scorsese shoots digitally and he's doing just fine. There was a great uh, documentary uh, called, I think Side by Side was the name of it. Uh, and it was just filmmakers talking about their preference for film or digital. And, and Fincher, uh, I think it's probably the biggest proponent and the biggest voice uh, for why he chooses digital. And it's really interesting. Uh, I think Keanu Reeves, I don't know if he directed it or if he was just the guy doing the interviews. Hosted. He just So who was, like, that's a weird, to me it was a weird choice because like uh, the director, uh, please tell me it wasn't, uh, I don't remember which one is uh, Keanu Ted or Bill, because uh, uh, Alex Winter <laughs> oh, is, is the actor. Uh, didn't he get into documentary filmmaking? I, I feel like he's done one like on uh, like Napster and the Silk Road, so I don't know if that's one of his. But Keanu Reeves is like uh, you know in that world thanks to his <laughs> his auteur friend that once starred in an eighties teen comedy. <laughs> I mean, the director of that documentary, uh, Christopher uh, Keneally, doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. That goes to show you how. All right. I guess, I'm just going to give full credit yeah. to Keanu then. Keanu, <laughs> he got all these guys together to talk about the future of film. But it's, you know, that came out, what, 10, 12 years ago? Uh, probably incredibly outdated now. Not as far as that argument amongst directors of studio films. Um, but yeah, the, the future battle is not going to be whether you have film stock or a digital camera, it's going to be the attention span of future generations. Do they want to sit down for even 90 minutes, two hours, or do they just want to watch a TikTok video or, you know, I mean, YouTube, a 10 minute YouTube video would probably be considered long to some of the very young kids coming up. I do mean kids as in children. Um, It's the battle over getting them to watch content off their phone. Um, That's what they're going to have to figure out. Uh, And I, you know, I see it. I see it in my real life. Uh, I've seen it in like just getting behind the scenes in our podcast numbers. Uh, the numbers you could get for a movie podcast 10 years ago, like roughly when I started this for just anything, for just talking about any random movie were much greater than what you can get now. And that could be this medium, just the proliferation of everyone having a podcast. I also tend to think though that it's, it's movies not being like the driving force of, of pop culture and the way that, you know, music or TV, uh, you know, which would always be the ones that were sort of standing next to them. I think movies have really fallen down the rung as far as importance as cultural currency, just with your average, you know, coworker. I just, I just don't think they're there anymore. It's like, so if, good Lord, if Grindhouse failed in, 2007 i can't imagine like that an eli roth entry is coming out in 2023 <laughs> but you know what it's, it's horror so maybe horror is the only thing that actually still moves the needle as far as financially that that, that genre has, has survived along with the uh, superhero stuff i saw everything everywhere all at once last april um it was uh, uh my my wife and i were able to kind of get away for our wedding anniversary and and left the kid with the grandparents and 
well, like, well, let's do something that we never get to do. Like, go to the fucking movies. And we saw that. And that was great. And I'd been telling people, hey, go watch. This is really good. It's like an indie film. But I think it'll have main- mainstream appeal. And even after it won the fucking Oscar, I'm still like, hey, did you ever get around to watching this? Nobody. Nobody's seen this fucking movie. And so as much as some people were like, oh, well, they gave it to the popular movie. I don't think they did. I don't think they gave the Oscar to the popular <laughs> film. And a quote that I saw uh, that... Uh, I got to see Tarantino deliver on on one of the late night talk shows. It was you go to the movies and you get less and less every year. And I don't think I have his level of pessimism about the medium, but I know where he's coming from and I feel his pain. Uh, movies, I think, once again, have become niche. Like if it doesn't have Spider Man in it, or if it doesn't have at least a hundred Spider Man in it. Boy, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Boy, that that sentence just got really depressing. From it was already depressing, and <laughs> you went to a hundred Spider Man. <laughs> one, two, or three, not good enough anymore. Now there's a Spider Man India. There's even one for me. So I guess I'll I'll, I'll take soon to uh... be played by Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 